supremely in your son, Jesus, whom we now possess and in him possess every spiritual blessing directly from your hand. We get to call him brother. We have the privilege of calling you our father. And we enjoy fellowship with your Holy Spirit. Father, there are some right now in this room who have not yet tasted of this fellowship and whom you intend to draw to yourself in a glorious way. Grant that the preaching of your word from your servant might be the instrument you use to bring those beloved people, men, women, and children to yourself today. We ask this in Christ's name, by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Think back to a time when something you said was completely misunderstood. As a husband, I've found myself in those situations more than I would ever care to admit. Whether it's just as my wife is walking out the door for an outing and I innocently ask something like, is that what you're wearing? Or at the dinner table. After I take the first bite and I say, did you find this on Pinterest? (laughs) There are things we say that they are easily and completely misunderstood. Sometimes words just bring controversy. This morning, we're continuing in our trek through the Gospel of John. And we find Jesus... In a similar situation. But with a profound difference. Jesus's words were controversial. Yes. But. Jesus's words were also calculated. In contrast to my own words toward my wife. Jesus's words were no accident. He said exactly what he meant. And his audience, both the Jewish religious leaders and even some of his own disciples, ended up having a big problem with it. The reality is that the Gospels are filled with controversy, filled with the provocative. Jesus was controversial, wasn't he? Is he not still? When was the last time you had a pleasant conversation about Jesus in a coffee shop to an unbeliever? Or students in the classroom or with a professor? Don't go there. Or in an email exchange. Why is it that the very subject The very mentioning of Jesus often breeds unprecedented controversy. 
I think the answer will become clear as we read our text for this morning. John chapter 6, verses 41 through 59. I invite you to turn there with me in your Bibles. Or please feel free to use the black hardback Bibles we've provided for you in the seats in front of you. If you're using those Bibles, the page number is 892. Again, the text is John chapter 6, verses 41 through 59. Page number 892 in the black Bibles. At this point in John's gospel, Jesus' new and fanatic paparazzi has followed him into the synagogue at Capernaum, demanding that he feed them more miracle bread. And it's in that same location, the synagogue at Capernaum, that we continue with our text this morning, continuing the same conversation Jesus is having about bread and about his own identity as the bread of life, the bread from heaven. but with increasingly escalating controversy. Follow along with me as I read, starting at verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father. Except he who was from God. He has seen the father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread That comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me 
and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Have you thought about our question? Why is it that Jesus always, always seems to provoke unprecedented controversy? John's answer is clear. Jesus provokes unprecedented controversy because Jesus makes unprecedented, seemingly outrageous claims. Jesus makes claims about himself that are unbelievable. And I'm not just using that word as a flimsy adjective or superlative. I mean, apart from God's grace, what Jesus claims about himself isn't just difficult to believe. It's impossible to believe. And yet... As we've seen time after time in John's gospel, our eternal life hinges on believing in Jesus. So what are we to do? Are we doomed and without hope? Absolutely not. God has come in the flesh to rescue us from this impossibility of belief. And in our passage this morning, Jesus tells us two things. First, in order to believe in him, we must be drawn by the Father. And second, in order to have, possess eternal life, we must eat or partake of the bread that he himself provides. Let's look at those two statements separately this morning. First, in order to believe in Jesus, we must be drawn by the Father. Look back at verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him. Take great care not to overlook that word, that verb, grumbled. John's being subtle. But he's communicating something very significant to his readers. Grumbled. Does that sound familiar? Sounds an awful lot like a story in the book of Exodus, doesn't it? Exodus chapter 16, verse 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, you remember. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and oh, ate bread to the full. 
For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And Moses, after assuring them that the Lord would send bread, manna from heaven, responds to them in verse 8, your grumbling is not against us. It's against Yahweh. But the next morning, the ground of the wilderness glistened like snow with God's provision for his people. God had sent sweet, satisfying manna down from heaven. And the people ate and were, verse 12, filled with bread. And then what? Happily ever after? You just studied Exodus this past semester. Their grumbling stomachs may have been forgotten. But their grumbling souls had provoked God's holy wrath. And though he continued to fill their bellies for 40 years in the wilderness, he only did so with the promise that they would all perish. The whole congregation, everyone who had grumbled against the Lord. Did God overreact here? Was this punishment a bit too extreme? Death. For grumbling? Why? Because grumbling deep down is a declaration of unbelief. You beginning to see John's point with this word grumbling? Israel once again is in the presence of Almighty God, Jesus, the Word made flesh, and they're grumbling about Him. So the Jews grumbled about Him because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph? Don't we know his mom and dad? How is he saying he's come from heaven? He's from Bethlehem, from Nazareth. Did the Jews misunderstand Jesus? No, they understood him quite well. He couldn't have been clearer. The Jews understood Jesus. They just didn't believe him. They grumbled about him. Jesus came and spoke with authority and they had no intention of receiving it. Here was the bread of heaven right in front of them before their very eyes and they were rejecting him. You heard about Joseph's boy? Dude thinks he's from heaven. They mocked him. In verse 43, Jesus responds. Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Left to ourselves, we are utterly incapable of coming to Jesus. Paul says in Romans chapter three, verse 11, no one seeks for God. This is a pervasive Perennial problem. 
Because of our sinful nature, we don't want to come to Jesus. We want to continue as we are. Jesus comes to us and says, come. And we say, no, no. Think about it this way. I've got a big green couch in my office. Mary hates that couch. That's why I took it out of the house and put it in my office. First time, first hour I got the job. Hideous couch. Cushions are overstuffed. The seats are oversized. I just love that couch. Now, let's just say, hypothetically, I had just attended the Band of Sisters luncheon this past Friday. Hypothetical. Stuffed myself with casseroles and carbs and abundance and cakes. And in a state of exhaustion and engorgement, I stumble into my office and collapse onto my lovely green oversized couch. Which, by the way, is that corduroy fabric that gives you those nice straight nap lines on your face. But right when I plop down, Pastor Nick calls me from down the hall. Hey, Drew, come, come in here a minute, will you? I made this up. (laughs) Am I physically able to come to him? Well, that's arguable. Whoever said yes. But yes, if I can stumble onto my couch, I can go a few more steps into his office. I'm physically capable. What about mentally? No jokes. I understand what Nick's saying. He couldn't have been clearer. He wants me to come to his office. So what's the one thing keeping me from getting up off that nice green corduroy couch. I don't want to. I love my couch. It's comfortable. I just got here. I know what Nick wants. I'm physically able to oblige him, but I'm paralyzed at the moment. In order for me to get up off that couch, my desires must radically change. Right. So God must work in us if we're going to come to Jesus. Jesus says, no one can come to me. Why? Because we don't want to. We love our couch. We are morally paralyzed in our sin. No one can come to me unless. Father who sent me draws him. This is how God draws people to Christ. If you're a Christian this morning, guess what? The Father has had his eye on you, and he has drawn you and delighted in doing so, in bringing you to Christ. He's changed your desires. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, Who knows? But that the father may be drawing you to himself at this very moment. But how does he draw us? Verse 45. It is written. In the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. The father 
draws people to Jesus by teaching them. He engages our minds. He summons our attention to his scriptures. Isn't that what Jesus is doing in our text? He quotes the prophet Isaiah, who foresaw in the future a golden age when God himself would be the teacher of his people. And the result of this teaching? Everyone, Jesus says, everyone without exception, who has truly heard and learned from the Father, comes to me. And then Jesus adds in verse 46. Not that anyone has seen the father, except he who is from God, he has seen the father. Jesus is confronting these people directly. It's as if he's saying, you think, you know, God, because you read a book. I've seen God. I am the word who was with God in the beginning. You want to know God? You get to know me. And they cannot accept this. They are utterly incapable of believing this. But then Jesus gives this irrevocable promise. Verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Jesus gives this great invitation to come and have life in him. But we must come on his terms, believing his claims. Now, as we look in verses 48 and following, we see that Jesus reintroduces this metaphor of bread. He tells us that in order to have eternal life, We must eat of the bread he provides. We must partake of him. Look at verses 48 through 51. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Notice the contrast in these verses. Between the two themes of death and eternal life. Why did the Israelites who received the bread in the wilderness die? Because of their grumbling and unbelief. And in the same way, brothers and sisters, those who do not come to Jesus, the bread from heaven, the bread of life will likewise die with God's wrath upon them forever. But Jesus says there's a way of escape from death to life. There's only one way. But there is a divine solution to humanity's problem. He says, the bread that I will give 
for the life of the world is my flesh. At the cross, Jesus would literally offer his flesh as a sacrifice for those who have grumbled against him. The righteous for the unrighteous, the sinless for sinners, the gracious for the grumblers. Have you responded to this? How will you respond to this? You must in some way. I'll tell you how the Jews responded. They argued among themselves. Verse 52, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Completely blinded by unbelief. Totally sidetracked by their skepticism. Jesus responds in verse 53, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He's not easing up, is he? He's getting more and more controversial. Can you imagine being a Jewish religious leader in the synagogue? That's your shift that day. Knowing the Old Testament backwards and forwards and hearing this young rabbi from Nazareth saying, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood or you're dead. (laughs) These are the people who are supposed to be bringing people to God. How unimaginably offensive. How would this experience look today? I, I plan to graduate seminary. In May, Lord willing, this year. What if Jesus were invited to give the commencement address? Speaking to scholars who have devoted themselves for the past several years to studying the scriptures, teaching the way of God, preparing to serve God's people. And he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you still have no life in you. But what does Jesus really mean by this? What does it mean to eat Jesus's flesh and drink his blood? It means to believe upon him for everlasting life. It means that we are to receive in faith his own flesh and blood, the perfect atonement for sinners like us. St. Augustine said it well, believe and you have eaten. So as often as we believe, we eat spiritually, we drink spiritually. But we also eat and drink physically, don't we? Our Lord Jesus invites us to come to the holy table of communion and partake of the bread and the cup as symbols of his flesh and blood. And as we eat of the bread and drink of the cup in faith, he seals and confirms his good promises to us. And what are those promises? First, eternal life. Verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood 
has eternal life. What exactly is eternal life? What's being promised here? Jesus gives us a definition in John chapter 17, verse 3 in his prayer. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Christian, to have eternal life is to know God personally. Is to know God personally. Isn't this the most wonderful gift he could have given us? He draws us to himself and then he gives us himself forever. This is what caused Paul to burst into celebration in the book of Philippians, chapter three, verse eight. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Why? Because the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Eternal life is a present reality for believers. We can know Christ right now. And we will continue to know him more and more intimately forever. Second. Resurrected life. After promising eternal life, Jesus immediately says, and I will raise him up on the last day. So not only do we know Christ and receive Christ, but we will also be like Christ, having a new and resurrected body like Christ. Think of all the things Christ did in his body after he was resurrected. He ate fish. He walked on the beach. He spoke face to face. With his disciples. As believers, we've been spending our lives striving to know Christ. But while physically absent from him. But soon we will be physically present with Christ. With a new body so that we can eat fish with Christ. Maybe crawfish. Walk the beach with Christ. Speak face to face with Christ. We will experience bodily resurrected life with Christ, enjoying and delighting in him for all eternity. That's what Jesus is promising. You want that? Don't you want that? Believe. And you have eaten. Throw yourself on the mercy of Christ. And it's yours. He is yours. Third. By partaking of Christ's flesh and blood. We are promised abiding life. Abiding life. Verse 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood. Abides in me. What does that mean? To abide in Christ and for Christ to abide in me. 
means that we are inseparably joined and united to Christ in every circumstance of our lives. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep and then picks it back up again and accompanies them wherever they go. Some of you who have recently walked through suffering have experienced this, tasted the sweetness of this reality. You say, I was at my lowest, I was at my depths, and Christ was in me, supplying all my needs, comforting me, loving me. This is what's promised to you, believer. He will never leave you or forsake you because he abides in you. Promises his love, his real and abiding presence. And then Jesus closes with these words. As the living father sent me. And I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me. He will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. If we feed on this bread from heaven, we will not die as the fathers did in the wilderness. We will live forever and ever and ever. This is the bread Jesus offers to those who have grumbled against him. Have you ever tasted this bread? Is the father drawing you right now to come and receive this bread, the bread of Christ's body broken and given for you? My friend, come to Jesus. Come and partake. Come and believe. And never hunger again. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you. We say that and we mean it. Thank you. For your son, Christ. Thank you that you have drawn us to the true bread of heaven. Thank you for the way he sustains us and abides in us. Thank you for the promise of eternal life, for the great hope we have of enjoying you forever. Help us to remember these truths always and help us to find all our satisfaction always in our Lord Jesus Christ, our food, our drink. It's in his name we pray. Amen.